Thanks, Luke and Priscilla. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Let's pray. Holy Father God, thank you that we do not have to be afraid. You've conquered fear. You've conquered death for us. We can trust and rest in you. So this morning, God, I pray as we look at Galatians, that you would help us just to even hammer down the truth of the freedom that we have in you. That would not be about what we do, but what was done for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray that the only way we can understand this is if you enlighten our eyes, if you help us to see it and to believe it and to take it and accept it and to live it. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you just come and do that for us. God, I pray that you would be with those this morning who are afraid for many different reasons, who are just struggling with fear. Help them to trust in you and rest in you alone. God, give them the strength that they would need, the hope that they need. For those who are sick, just encourage them, put your grace and peace on them. Now, there's so many things going on with people's lives. But it is the hope of the gospel that we need to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And Holy Spirit, help us to do that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Galatians chapter 3. We're working our way through the book of Galatians as a church. Um, this fall, we are looking at Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. Monday evening, I uh, pile out of the van up in Naperville with a bunch of our juniors and seniors and a couple of the parents to go to this college fair. And we walked into this room. By the time we got there, the place was already uh, lined with um, juniors and seniors and moms and dads waiting to go in there and look at all these colleges. And so they put us in this room. We walked in and we turned down this narrow hallway, and all the way down this hallway was just huge displays and smiling representatives just trying to make these covenants, attempting to make covenants with these parents of these kids, saying, come to my school. If you come to my school, then all your dreams will be fulfilled. Everything you want will, be, will, be, will come to reality, said the guy with two master's degrees who's a college rep, because he can't find any other work in this economy. That's all through that, maybe that's not true, but it is, it was an emotionally charged place. You saw all, all these high school seniors who just, their eyes were huge, and you know, this school could be my dream, you know, and then they're so excited, and then the parents were trying to smile because they were excited for their kids, but they were also struggling with the bedroom's going to be empty, and the bank account's going to be empty, and so it's a very emotionally charged room, but the whole point of it, you ever been to one of those? The whole point of a college fair is for a school to say, listen, if you parent will covenant with us and give us your child, we will allow you and we will teach them how to make all their dreams come true. And it's a battle. It's a battle to try to decide which one should I follow, which way should I go. And that's exactly what Paul's doing in Galatians. He preached the gospel to these people and to these churches, and they accepted the gospel. They believed the gospel. They saw Jesus high and lifted up, and they were following him. And then these Judaizers came in who said, no, you need more than just Jesus. You need the old law. And if you follow Jesus and the law, especially circumcision, circumcision and some of the dietary laws, if you'll follow law as well, then all your dreams will come through. And these people who wanted to get it right, because they followed Jesus, they, these, these were Christians, they wanted to get it right. 
They were walking down the narrow way, and all of a sudden these Judaizers started screaming out to them, come my way. And Paul, all through the book of Galatians, is begging them, he's pleading with them, don't leave the narrow way. Don't get distracted to the left or don't get distracted to the right. Stay on the narrow way. Stay on the way of the gospel. And here's why. And he is going to explain to them the power of the promise that we have and you can have through Jesus Christ over the law, which was never meant for us to find power. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. I'm going to start with verse 14 because Paul made this big argument last week that Jesus was the one who became the curse for us so that we could have hope when he died on the cross and rose again. Verse 14 says, So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary, now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. These are very difficult verses. It's a whole bunch of things that we don't even talk about, ratified, covenants, and all these different things. So we're going to try to untangle what is Paul trying to say. One of these verses, verse 20, has 350 interpretations of what it means. So I'm not going to say I have the right one, but I'm going to give it a shot and, uh, that I stole from somebody else. So it is a tough passage to understand, but we must understand this passage in the context of justification, how are we made right with God? That's the question. That's the question that hopefully you have asked yourself at least once in your life. And hopefully you have come to that answer by faith in Jesus Christ alone. How are you made right with God? The Bible says the way we are made right by God is through a promise. So when you think of promise, think of done. If Brian would have come up to me this morning and said, hey, Paul, after the service, I just got a new snowmobile. I'm going to, want you to, I'm going to, take, you, I'm going to take you to my house and show it to you and let you sit on it. You know, uh, I would say that's a done deal. It's a promise because I know he just got a new snowmobile. Let me go over to his house and sit on it. It's done. I don't have to think, really, Brian? Because I saw it on Facebook. So I know it's real. So he's a trustworthy 
individual on that case. So check it out. So that is how we know in a promise can be true. It's who gave us the promise. And God is trustworthy. So when you read the scriptures and God says promise, think it's done. It's a done deal. It's promise. We don't have all of it yet, but it's done. And when you think of law when it comes to justification, how we're made right with God, that is all about do. Now Brian would said to me, hey, you can come over to my house and if you give me five bucks, I'll let you sit on my snowmobile with no snow. That's law. That's something that I would have to do, and I'm not going to take him up on that because I don't want something that I have to do. I want something that's done for me. I want promise, not law. And Paul said that's the whole point of justification. We are made right with God by a promise, what God has done for us, not by law, what we have to do. But we constantly, constantly, we want to go to law. We want to go by what we have to do to be made right with God. So we're going to look at three things that don't tell us what we have to do to get right with God, but tell us how we have been made right with God. And they do all start with P, all three of them. The first one is this. There is a permanent promise that we've been given by God. Look at this. Paul says, listen, he's trying to explain to them, why would you leave promise? What something's, why would you leave the promise that God gave you that's been done for you to go back to doing law, things that you have to do to be made right with you? Why would you do that? And he's so frustrated with these people. He calls them foolish. You're not thinking right. It's like you've been hypnotized. Why are you doing this? And so he's giving them these arguments that they should know and we need to remind ourselves of, of this freedom that we can have through the gospel. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you a human example. Everybody knows this. This is nothing new. As I try to explain this to you, he goes, just here's a human example. People understand promise. He just says, to give a human examples, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. He's saying, just like a will. Once someone has a will, they write up a will. We all understand this. They can write up a will. And when that person is dead, it's ratified, it can't be changed. You can't come in later and say, yeah, I don't really like that. I don't like the vase that uh, Grandpa gave me. I would rather have the couch. And so I'm just going to change his will. I know he's gone, but we would never allow that. You get upset with your brothers and sisters. That's why huge family fights happen. Because once wills are ratified, and a will is ratified once, really once the person is dead, once the will is ratified, it can't be changed. We understand that. Teachers have contracts, and they come up for contract disputes. And so you have to go and talk to the, the teachers' union and the, the districts. They, they figure all this stuff out. And then the teachers have to take a vote, and they have to decide, are they going to ratify the new contract or not? And once they agree to ratify the contract, it's set in stone. We understand this, don't we? It can't be changed. And Paul's saying that is promise. That's all he's trying to say. This is a human example. Promise means done. And the promise is permanent. He goes, people understand promise. So he gives an illustration in verse 15. And then he says, but there are some promise facts that you need to know to this permanent promise that God's given you. There are some permanent facts that you need to know. What was it that God promised us? And he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15. And he talks about Abraham. Verse 16 says, Now the promise, this is were made to Abraham and to his offspring. 
It does not say, and to offspring. So he's referring, and he gives the answer, he's referring to Christ. So what God did thousands of years ago, listen, I know we're in 2011, but you are a part of something bigger than you can imagine as a believer. Thousands of years ago, the God of the universe, when man fell, and when things did not go the way they were meant to be, or now that everything was broken, God said, I'm going to change that. So he came to man. He came to Abraham. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And out of you will be many promises. There will be a land, and there will be a people for my name. And in all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 talk about this. And God said to Abraham, do this. You can read this in Genesis 15. Yeah, I'll make a covenant with you. And what they would do for a covenant, God had them get different animals. And he said, Abraham, cut the animals in half. And so he would cut them in half, and he'd set them on the ground, separated from each other. One half across from the other half. And then God came himself, and he walked through the cut-up animals, which ratified the promise that God would make a people for his name, that he would, from his offspring, restore the world. That's the promise. Not by anything that you did, not by anything that Abraham did, but it was all because of what God did. These are the promise facts you must know. Promise means done. It's a done deal. When God walked through that, he said, everyone who he has called who will come to himself It's done. You will come to me not because of anything that you do, but by everything that I do. And the means that you come to me will be through faith, which is a gift that I will give. Paul says, why would you walk away from this? Why would you walk away from this? Why would you start believing that you have to do things to become right with me, to earn favor with me? Why would you want to do that when I gave you a promise? And even humans, you you understand this. They still weren't getting it. Paul says the promise can't be changed. Verse 17, these Judaizers, these people from Jerusalem, they came in and saw these gospel-believing Christians who were trusting in Jesus Christ alone for their hope of eternal life and said, no, you've got to believe in more than just Jesus. You have to believe and do some things. You need to be circumcised. You have to eat this way. You have to do these things. And they added law to them. And Paul says, that's not right. That's not promise. Promise is things that's done for you. What they're trying to tell you is stuff you have to do. Why would you follow that? Because once a promise is made, it can't be changed. Especially when God's the one that makes the promise to us. Look what he says in verse 17. This is what I mean. Now he gets to his whole point. This is what I'm trying to tell you. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. If you got the vase from Grandpa and your brother or your sister got the couch that everybody wanted, And 430 days later, you tried to go to your brother and say, hey, I know grandpa's dead. I know we all read the will. I know things are all done, but I'm changing it now. The couch is now mine. You get the vase. It would never happen that way. 
because the promise was done. Just because something came later doesn't affect the promise in any way. And that's what Paul's saying. Listen, why are you listening to law about things you have to do to be made right for God? Even though the law, the law came 430 years after the promise of God, it has no effect on the promise of God for you. The promise can't be changed. The promise is what makes us right. The promise is what makes you justified before God. The promise makes it what is we accept by grace alone, by faith alone, through Jesus Christ alone. Because God is faithful. Maybe if you, some of you this week, you're very nervous. You're very fearful. Maybe things aren't going very well at work. Or life is maybe about ready to take some turns. Or you might have just got some bad news. Or you may get some bad news in a few months, in a few weeks. And you think, man, if that happens, I don't, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I'll be able to survive this. You can. If you will trust in the one who is faithful. Trust in the God of Abraham who made a promise with him thousands of years ago. That promise can't be changed. And that promise is for you today. So whatever you're going through in the next few months, in the next few weeks, and it seems fearful and frightening, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, you will make it through. Not because of you, but because of the promise and the one who promised it. Hold on to the gospel and hold on to Jesus Christ. The promise can't be changed. God is faithful. Well, that brings up a huge question, though. Anybody who's thinking, if you're following along with me, you, you would have to think, wait a second. If God promised me everything, and that means everything is just done, I'm just going to receive this, then why in the world would God give this law and mess things up? Why would he throw that into the mix? Wouldn't it have just been easier to stay with promise the whole way through and kind of forget this whole law business, cut out half the Bible, and I wouldn't have to read so much? And that's what Paul says. He's talking to thinking people. And he answers their question. Why then the law? And he gives an answer. He gives the purpose for the law. He says it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And the promise had been made to Jesus Christ. God promised Abraham that from his seed, the Messiah would come, the Savior of the world, the one who would bless everyone. It was Jesus. It was a person. He is your only hope. Don't walk away from Jesus. But he says, the law was given because it was added for our transgressions, which means the law has a purpose. It has a purpose, though, that is separate from the promise. And it has a purpose that is separate from the promise, but is unbelievably essential for you. And it's essential for me, because the Bible says this, the, the purpose of the law was added because of transgressions, which means this, God made this promise to Abraham that can't be changed, can't be changed by anything. It's already been ratified. But then he gave this law. And he said, the reason I gave law is to reveal transgressions, to increase transgressions. Because unless you see yourself as a lawbreaker, you will never see your, your need to hold on to the promise. And God said, I want you to see yourself as a sinner. So I gave the law to Israel to reveal sin, 
to lift the lid off the cesspool of our hearts and see what's really there because we rejected God. We rebelled against him. And law does that for us, doesn't it? Law is the thing that shows you you are a sinner. That's the whole purpose of the law. Because of the law, we can see that we are sinful. We can see that we're rebellious. We can see that we're guilty. We can see and believe and understand why God says we're under judgment. This is not the good news that we like, but this is the news that we need to hear. This is essential for us. Because unless we see law, you're never going to live in the hope of the promise. That's what law does, doesn't it? Remember your little kid? Your mom says, don't touch that. What do you want to do? You want to touch that. Why do you do that? Because the law is there. The law increases transgressions. If the law wasn't there, you'd walk right past it. Mom didn't tell me to not touch it. I don't care to touch it. But now that mom said to touch it, I have to touch it. There's a law. I got to break it. Because in our hearts, even as little kids, we are born as lawbreakers. You are a sinner by nature. That's the whole purpose of the law. And as we live in our life, law is everywhere. And it reveals to us our sin. And here's the problem, though. As we think we become, we can make ourselves right by God by what we do morally, the law was never meant to do that. Because it says, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But there's no way law can give life. Because the law of God says you have to do certain things, and the law of God says you have to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That was the law. And we can't do that. Because here's what happens. When we start to follow law, we start to do things. And we have to do this to earn God's favor. We have to do this. And this is what you were doing before you came to Christ. This is what Paul was doing. Saul. He was out there persecuting Christians. He was trying to get rid of this sect called Christianity. And for Paul, as a good Jew who followed law, it was, in his mind, and in all the Jews' minds, getting rid of Christianity was like the United States going after the Taliban. It's just the right thing to do. But when he saw that even even his good works of following the law condemned him, what he was doing to him looked like Hitler going after Jews. And he said, I am guilty before God. That's what law does to us. But as you try to obey law, we see it, we can't do it. We fail all the time. That was the whole purpose of it. If you have not seen yourself as a lawbreaker, the Bible says you are condemned. We must see ourselves as lawbreakers. That was the purpose of For what it was given, Martin Luther said this, the law is this, the law is to make men not better, but worse. That is to say, it showeth unto them their sin, that by the knowledge thereof they may be humbled, terrified, bruised, and broken, and by this means may be driven to seek grace, and so to come to that blessed seed, Jesus Christ. That's the whole purpose for the law. And we cannot escape this. There's no way out of this. Do you see yourself as a sinner? Have you seen yourself as a sinner? Are you trying to earn your favor by God by doing good things? You say, well, I'm a good person. I'm very moral. Your morality makes you a sinner because what you are boasting in is your morality instead of God. 
You're saying, hey, because I follow these things, that makes me good. And God says, no, because you follow those things, that makes you bad. That makes you a sinner. That makes you guilty before me. That makes the wrath of me hang over you. But I made a way for you. I made an escape for you. It's my son, Jesus Christ. But you've got to see the bad news. And when we talk to people, sometimes we've got to give them the bad news that they need to give them the, the cure that they may want. But you've got to see the need. Here's, this, is, this is why this bad news law is good for us. Because it's the amazing grace of God. If you've recognized sin in your life, if you see yourself as a lawbreaker, that's God's grace on you. If you have been confronted by sin and your guilt, that's God's grace on you. If you've recognized that the way to God is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, that's God's grace on you. Because if you've not seen those things, the wrath of God is on you, and it's on you, and you don't even know where it's coming from. The the, the law was written on our hearts, the Bible says, and you are lost without it. And God says this to those who have not seen their sin. In Psalm 36, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The word of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. But the law does that. It speaks to your heart. You can't get away with it. There is a right and wrong that you believe in. And you're trying to live a certain way. Or you were trying to live a certain way. And God says the law was given Not to add to the promise, but to reveal to you the need for the promise. That you and I are guilty before God and we needed some help. And if you've seen that, listen, if you've seen that, smile. If you've sensed that, rejoice. Because that was God's grace on you. If you've not seen that, beg God to reveal to you your sin. Because the wrath of God is on you and it will fall either on you or it will fall on Jesus. And Jesus says, let it fall on me because I came for you. If you have not felt the guilt of your sin, beg God, show me that I am a sinner so I can receive your grace. That's the purpose of the law. And Paul says, the law was never meant to be added to what you have to do. It was just helped you to see the need. So the law is a pointer to the promise. In verse 21 and verse 22, it says this. Paul says, okay, so if the law isn't what we need for promise, that's already been done for us way before the law ever came, and the law was helped us to reveal who we, who we are, our transgressions, our sin, the cesspool of our deepness, of our hearts, that even when we're alone, we know there's something wrong. If that was the purpose of the law, then is law contrary to the promise of God? Paul says, absolutely not, because the whole point of it is to point you to Jesus. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. If you try to treat your sin, if you try to treat your sinfulness, your disease of sin, with law, you will die. There's a patient in the hospital, and he had pneumonia. Well, it was diagnosed as pneumonia, and he asked the doctor, he goes, are you sure? He was very worried. He says, I've heard of cases where a doctor treated a patient for pneumonia, and he ended up dying of something else. And the doctor said, don't worry, said the doctor. When I treat a patient for pneumonia, they die of pneumonia. 
That is law. If you try to treat your disease of sin with law, you will die by the law. If you try to treat your need to get right by, with God by doing things, you will die by that. Because God said it's not about what you do, it's everything that has been done for you through Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. This is doctrine that we need to drink in deep. Because tomorrow, when Satan comes to you and says, no, you are a sinner. You need to do more Bible reading. You're a sinner. You should get to that church more often. You're a sinner. You need to tithe 10%. You need to, you're, you're a sinner, so you better start doing things. No, that's law. You better say, no, Satan, get away from me. I am secure in Jesus Christ alone. That's my hope. And drink deep from it. The point of the law was to point us to Jesus. He is our hope, which says this. Law is good. God never says law is bad. So the question isn't, what do I need to do to be right with God? God says, you don't need to do anything. I did everything for you by sending Jesus Christ. I came to you. I did it all for you. The question for us should be then, am I glorifying God with my life? Am I making much of Jesus Christ? In love. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He gave us hope. He gave us joy. He gave us peace. He gave us freedom from guilt. And Paul says the question that we should be asking as we look at the gospel as Jesus is our hope and that we have the Spirit, am I glorifying Jesus Christ with my life? Or am I still living under law? Am I still trying to do things? Maybe you are still trying to work your way to God. It'll never happen that way. It only comes by a promise that God gave you. Cry, beg Jesus to reveal to you your sin so you can see Jesus. Maybe you are a Christian like these Galatians were. Maybe you were saved. Maybe you know you're trusting in Jesus Christ alone, but here's what happened. Maybe you've, you've started to go the, off the narrow way. You strayed off of gospel. And you started to see these displays of duty. And, and you've come out from that. Some of you have come out of that. You grew up in places that taught that. Everything's about do, do, do. Wear something. Look, at way, look a certain way. Act a certain way. And that's how you know you're right with God. And now that you've come to the gospel and you realize, no, I'm free. But maybe you haven't realized that now you have faded away from that. And so now that you don't do some things that you were told to do, you know, women can now wear pants. You don't have to read the King James Bible. You don't have to show up to everything that ever happened in the church. You know, you don't have to memorize half the Bible. You don't have to do all these things to be right with God. But instead, instead of growing in holiness and following the Holy Spirit, you have come over and created a new law for yourself. Well, now I don't have to go to Sunday school. I'm just going to go to the morning worship service, and be in a small group. As long as I do morning worship service in a small group two out of four times a month, then I'm good, and I'm right with God. That's law. You have bought back into law. You are trying to figure out what you need to do to justify yourself so that you can boast in your own righteousness. That's not the question. The question we need to ask is, because of all that God did for us, because of all who Jesus is, because of all that he did on my sin and see our sin for what it is, we need to say, wow, I'm humbled by grace. And is my life glorifying Jesus Christ? 
Am I making much of God in everything that I do? When I'm at work, am I making much of God? When I'm at home, am I making much of God? The way I raise my kids, am I trying to make much of God? Am I glorifying God with my life? And if I'm not, God, show me where I need to change so I can stay on the narrow way of the gospel. Don't let me create some other false laws that I accept just because I abandoned some other laws that somebody else gave me. Don't let me be a law to myself. Let me follow the Holy Spirit and let you guide me and let you be my truth. The law will be written on our hearts. If we will do this as a church, if we will see the freedom that we have from Christ, that it's not about anything that we do, it's everything that was done for us. We don't have to run back from law. There's nothing that you can do to make yourself right with God when you sin. It's not about picking up a Bible. It's not about doing something to make yourself feel good again in God. It's about going back to the cross and saying, Jesus, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I didn't back then, and I don't now, but I'm claiming it because of the promise that you gave to me. I'm going to trust in you alone. Help me to glorify you. I mean to make you big in my family, in my life, in my marriage, with my kids. When we do that, people see that, and the love of God is being busted out of here, and that brings great delight and not burdensome duty, the Route 34 corridor will begin to be transformed by the power of the gospel. But if we stay all crimpled up, and if we think we have to do these things, and we're like, no, I believe in Jesus, but I've got to do these things. This is my law now. And we think that's how we're being made right with God. People are going to look at that. I don't want that. And God says we are to be free. We are free in Christ. He will redeem you. He will give us life, and he will let the gospel soar in your life and in our church. Are you trusting in the promise? Are you building on some law? The promise means it's done for you. Trust in Jesus alone. If you're trusting in any kind of law where you have to do something, ask God to help you repent and give you the grace to trust in him alone. That's our hope. It is our only hope. And it's a wonderful hope. Let's pray. And ask them to bow their heads and close their eyes. I just want to ask, give you a second before we go back to the craziness of life. What are you trusting in to make you right with God? Is it grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone? Or is it something that you do that you've made to make yourself feel right with God? Have you accepted Christ? As the payment for your sin? If not, I encourage you right now to call out to Jesus. If you're added something you're not, and your life isn't glorifying God, right now, ask God to reveal that to you. In a second, we're going to stand and sing, and the prayer team is up here. If you just say, you know, I need some encouragement. I need some to pray with me. I've got some burdens. I'm dealing with anything. They'd love to pray with you this morning. They'll be here. Let's pray. Holy Father God, thank you for the gift of the promise that what you did for us thousands of years ago we can claim as our hope in Jesus Christ alone. And what he did on Calvary, dying on the cross for our sins. God, I pray that there's someone here who does not see themselves as a sinner. I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning, this afternoon, during this week, and that you would bring them to yourself. 
God, if there's someone here who has made a new form of law and didn't realize it, and they, need to, they have left the gospel, I pray that you would help them repent of that and bring them back to Jesus Christ alone and trusting in you alone. God, help us every day to rejoice in the hope of the gospel, that it is done. It's not what we do. Give us your grace and your peace. And thank you that you are a great God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned.